We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon football has a huge matchup this weekend when Lincoln Riley and the USC Trojans come to town. We're previewing, previewing and predicting Oregon versus USC on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast, your premier podcast for all things Oregon football and recruiting. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, coming to you on a Thursday morning from Springfield, Oregon, a couple of days away from game day, and I am super stoked to welcome my guy, Connor Morissette, on to preview Oregon and USC. Connor covers the Trojans for 247 Sports. How we doing, man? Good morning. Morning, Max. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Right on, man. Right on. Well, huge game, obviously, between the Ducks and the Trojans right now. Um, I think that there was a point, uh, you know, maybe earlier this year where we kind of figured maybe maybe these team both these teams would be undefeated coming into this game. I mean, maybe that's not the most realistic expectation for for both sides, but two really good teams just to kind of get us uh, kicked off here. What what's the vibe right now? Would you say in Los Angeles uh, around this uh, USC team following that last week's uh, loss to Washington and kind of going into this weekend? I think the team is disappointed overall. Of course, you're right. USC was picked to win the Pac-12, and I guess they still have a chance if they can win out here. But it's a tough test looking ahead playing Oregon and then a UCLA team that has a really good defense and USC struggled against teams that have played really well defensively defensively this year. So yeah, I think that the players are disappointed. The coaching staff is pushing. We still have a great opportunity. We might not be able to get to our ultimate goal right now, but we still can win this league. So I think the players they're, they're down, but they have no other choice but to keep fighting. And to their credit, it's been a disappointing season, but they they've never quit in any of these games. And I don't expect anything like that to happen in Oregon. I just think they've been outmanned. Their defense has specifically, and the offense has kept fighting. The defense has kept fighting too, of course, but they just haven't been able to execute. And they're going back to work, putting in the days, stacking the days, as they like to say. Uh, But yeah, overall, they're really disappointed. Yeah, and you can understand why that would be the case, uh, given all the the hype that the the team had, and to some degree still has lots of uh, offensive stars, maybe some guys on defense that, 
are doing their best, but you know, things aren't necessarily working out on that side of the ball and they still deserve some credit. Um, what, let's talk about that USC defense because that's been one of the, the trending topics, if you will, this week heading into this matchup that they come off that 52 42 loss to Washington. And I guess that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, with, with Alex Grinch, uh, Lincoln Riley choosing to relieve him of his duties as defensive coordinator. Just kind of wanted to start there talking about the defense um, with, with your reaction to that move. I think it had to be done after that Washington game. Really, the game before against Cal was similar, where USC won. They just had more talent than Cal. They were able to make a few more plays at the end. But against the Washington offense, even though it was at home for USC, that was way better than Cal's, you see the results. Washington had one penalty that pushed him back, and then they punted, and then Michael Penix threw one pick, and that was in the end zone. So they were marching right down the field, and USC made a play. But besides that, it was one field goal and then touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. So it was just not good enough. And Lincoln Riley, even though he kept – Continuing to say, I feel like this defense is close. I thought the fourth quarter against Cal would provide a spark or right there. He knew the writing was on the wall and he had to let go of, of Grinch after that Washington game. And the timing is interesting. It's USC's toughest game now, in my opinion, going on the road to Oregon. So I, I think the hope is that they knew they had to change something and this would provide a spark. I just think going up to Austin Stadium kind of negates any spark that you hope to have because that's just such a hard place to play, Max, as you know. So, yeah, defensively right now, I think the players, Mason Cobb, the captain, he talked about, he's a linebacker, he talked about how it felt like losing, Alex Ranch was like losing a brother, but they're going to keep fighting. And he said he'd been part of something like that before at Oklahoma State, I think, after his sophomore year, the defensive coordinator got let go. So when you play big-time college football, Cobb isn't a younger guy, but even I think the younger players know that something like this can happen and, it's not uncommon if a unit is underperforming the way USC's was for a change to happen. So I don't think anyone's surprised they're going to keep pushing. I don't really know how much can change in a week. We'll see if USC's defense comes out on fire and plays a lot better. I think that might lead to people being even more frustrated with Lincoln Riley. Cause it would be like, why didn't you do this earlier? If the team had this kind of potential, I don't anticipate something like that happen, but I could see the team playing a little bit better. We'll just have to see. Let's stay there on the the timing aspect of it, Connor, because I think that's really interesting. Uh, you mentioned yourself uh, how kind of people saw that the writing was on the wall and, and this was a move that probably needed to happen and, and needed to happen sooner. But now that it's happened, uh, we got to deal with the reality of the situation. Oregon's or sorry, USC is seven and three, five and two in, in Pac-12 play. Why do you think it took this long for the move to happen? And, and what do you think the timing of it means? I think if they had lost to Cal, it could have potentially happened the week before. I think they, USC, like they had some close calls, losing or beating Arizona in the double overtime, beating Cal by one point. I don't think a change would have been made if USC had lost to Arizona, but they had beaten all the teams they were supposed to have beaten. And then Utah, you could say, okay, that doesn't really make a ton of sense, but at least Utah was ranked. They hadn't really had like a bad loss that would lead to, okay, we need a change now. So I think the Washington game, even though Washington was ranked, there was enough evidence that USC defensively, it didn't look good against not ranked teams or unranked teams, but they could still pull out victories. And against ranked teams, they just couldn't do that. So I think that was the timing. And then as for why now, Lincoln Riley, like I said, I think he knows that the writing was on the wall a little bit. If you go into Eugene with Alex French as the defensive coordinator based on how the last two weeks have played out, USC doesn't have a shot. I think Lincoln Riley believes that 
this will give USC a better chance to win the game. Okay, and that makes sense that you you got to give yourself the best shot to win every game. I think the thing that made this whole debacle, I guess, just USC's defense up to this point was that it kind of it kind of um, I don't know if tainted is the right word, but it, it just gave you a weird perception of the team because, like you said, USC was picked to win the Pac-12 uh, as one of the better teams. Clearly, they have this amazing offense that we're going to talk about later, but yet you still see them just kind of squeaking by, squeaking by each week. So it feels like, I mean, as obvious as it is, if you only have one side of the ball that's really delivering, you're, you're not going to be a solid overall team. Absolutely. And the offense, they lead the country in points per game. The stats look really good. It hasn't been as easy this year to move the ball and score the ball as it was a year ago. I think that has to do with the schedule being a little harder with, Opponents being more familiar with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams tendencies a little bit. It just hasn't been as clean, but the stats are the stats and the offense is certainly the strength of the team. Caleb Williams gives you a chance to win every week. And defensively, I think if USC had an average defense, they probably beat Utah. I don't think the Notre Dame game would be any different because USC's offense struggled so much in that game, but an average defense, I think probably even beats Washington. I don't know if you watched that game, Max, but Washington, really struggled to stop USC. And then at the end, they made a couple stops. They had a big one right before halftime too. They, the Washington defense is everything that the USC defense should be this year. They have some ugly moments for sure, but they get a couple stops when you need them to, and they can bail you out of situations. And this year, USC's defense just has not been able to bail them out at all. And I think that's why uh, ultimately a change has been made. But yeah, overall, like we talk so much about the defense. The offense has had some issues too. They're a lot more easy to like, you know, kind of mask because of Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. But uh, it, it, the season overall, I, I think has been a little disappointing on both fronts, but defensively, certainly more so than the offense. Well, let's, let's stay on the defense for a little bit longer. You, one of the guys you mentioned earlier, Connor was, was a uh, linebacker Mason Cobb. And uh, he, he had some, he drew some interesting reactions after you talked to him earlier this week. Uh, asking a, a very simple and straightforward question about what, what did you see on the film? You know, what kind of went wrong against Washington and against an offense that talented? A lot can go wrong. I mean, Oregon's Oregon's defense allowed 36 points, I think it was, to, to Washington. Um, but he said that he hasn't watched film from the, the Washington game, kind of just in an effort to flush it and move on. Since that was your question, I just wanted to to kind of get your take on that and what you think that kind of means, given where the defense is at. They've had a couple of performances where they flushed it, so that's obviously not good. I I don't know if you saw the little Twitter thing that happened yesterday. So I asked the question, and then my initial reaction was, "How can you not watch the film?" And I said it kind of loud. I hope you didn't hear me. There were a lot of reporters around. I should have just kept that thought to myself. But I, I was like, "How could that be? How can you not watch film after a disappointing game?" And then we had a post-game analysis video or a post-practice analysis video. And before that, I wanted to reach out to some people just to make sure, is it common sometimes where if you have a bad game, you don't watch the film because it sounds crazy, but maybe that's what happens sometimes. So I texted a couple of people who would know, and they were like, yeah, that happens sometimes. And then I saw Mason Cobb getting a ton of crap for it after uh, the practice and the next day on Twitter. And I just tweeted out, yeah, sometimes it's common to flush it. And then a couple of USC former players were like, that's not common at all. What are you talking about? I think people thought that I was defending it. And I was just pointing out that this happens sometimes. And of course on Twitter words get 
mischaracterized. So what's my opinion on it? I think he should have been watching the film. I, I don't think that's a very good look. Like I said, it's happened before. Kalen Bullock said he didn't watch Utah's final drive on film after uh, the Utes got into field goal range to beat USC. So it's not like the team is just flushing one game. This is a common thing. And if you're doing this repeatedly, I don't think that can be very good. So yeah, overall, I do think the coaching change sort of plays a part into that too. I'm sure the new interim co-defensive coordinator, Sean New and Brian Odom said, look, the guy in charge last week, he's not here anymore. Let's just move on from that game. And that maybe had something to do with it too. I still think even if as a team, they weren't watching a ton of the film on Washington, it's on the players to look at some of it by themselves. So not a good look in my opinion. And I don't really know uh, going forward what, what that means potentially just you, you got to watch it after making some of the mistakes that were made against uh, Washington. I was definitely surprised uh, when, when I watched that presser and, and I heard that. I mean, first it was like, oh, shout out Connor. I know that voice. <laughs> but but then but then the reaction and uh, the answer from Cobb was definitely a shocker, especially a, a veteran guy like that. That's, uh, you know, a, a senior linebacker, played some really good ball at Oak State before coming over to to USC. So that was a shock, but I, I definitely just had to get your take on that one. Was was a surprise to hear that. Um, let's talk about the personnel a little bit more because we all know, most people know at least, the stars of the USC offense, and we're going to get to that. Don't worry um, for those of you watching at home. But the, the personnel on this USC defense, I want to talk about some of the guys that you think are going to be the most important in this game. I think Bear Alexander is probably the biggest name on that uh, D line coming over from Georgia. And then you have uh gentry at the, at the linebacker spot. He's had some really solid plays this year. So kind of just want to open it up to you and, and kind of see which guys you think are worth spotlighting here. Yeah, certainly bear Alexander, Eric Gentry and Christian Roland Wallace. They have been huge too. I can get to them in a second. They've been a little banged up this week. So their statuses heading into this game, might be uh, we might need to to wait on them to see exactly how much they'll play, but yeah, Barry Alexander has been exactly as advertised as a defensive lineman. He won the national championship with Georgia last year. He plays on the inside of the defensive line. He had a sack and I think a tackle for loss against TCU in that game. His big thing was I'm only playing on third down. I need to be playing every down. What school gives me the best opportunity to do that? He felt like it was USC, and so far he's been amazing. I know pro football focus grades don't tell the whole story, but against Washington, USC was so bad against the run, giving up 316 yards. Bear Alexander was USC's highest rated run defense player in that game. Just goes to show the talent that that he has. They don't have too many guys on that line like him. The production of a few of USC's defensive linemen, they were great when USC was playing opponents who weren't very talented. And then as the level of competition raised, the, that production sort of dried up for Bear Alexander. It's been pretty consistent. And even if he's not making tackles, he's getting a consistent push. It's awesome to see a guy who came in so highly touted perform exactly as everyone expected. And it's kind of a surprise that for as good as he's been, the defense has been so bad. So he's the first guy, Eric Gentry, like you mentioned, he just makes plays last week. He tipped a pass that led to an interception that Christian Roland Wallace brought down in the end zone. He had USC's only sack. He, he's had some issues and in, in not filling his gaps and, and made some mistakes in run defense, but he's just the playmaker and a guy who it took a little while to get on the field this year for some reason, still kind of a head scratcher. He had a tweet yesterday that said, I'm not rusty because Lake and Riley last week said that he was a little rusty to the beginning of the year. He deleted the tweet. So there's a little bit of stuff going on there. That's always funny when 
that happens. But yeah, he, he's a player who I think deserves to play a lot more than he has. He, the last couple of weeks, he, he's been in much more consistently. But against Notre Dame, I think he only played two snaps, which I don't think that was right. And in the secondary, Christian Roland Wallace, the transfer from Arizona. He is an NFL prospect. He's been USC's best cornerback, really talented guy. Another guy who took him a little while to start, and that just makes you wonder, hey, if we're not playing, if, if USC isn't playing their best defensive players, what's going on here? I think that sort of provides a lens, too, into what's been going on with USC defensively. They weren't playing a lot of these talented guys early in the season for whatever reason. So those are probably the big three. And if you have any other questions, I'm happy to go over any other parts of the defense, too. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, we're already kind of halfway-ish is kind of what I was thinking. But um, wanted to make sure we talked about some of those guys that are worth knowing. Um, yeah, Gentry is a really special talent, it looks like. I mean, you don't find too many six foot six linebackers that are you know standing up and dropping back into coverage like him. And, and he was impressive from what I saw in that Washington game. Bear Alexander in the trenches, I think just to, to spotlight that for a second, I think that's where you see, I would think, wager, uh, I would wager advantages for, for an Oregon's favor on both sides of the ball, the offense and defensive lines, um, just in terms of the, the personnel there and how Oregon's offensive line is playing right now, just to get a little bit of Oregon offensive talk in here to, to go with the USC defense. That that's a group that I think has far exceeded expectations, especially when you look at getting a new offensive line coach, a really young coach, mind you, in Alik Terry. You bring in Mike Cavanaugh, who is one of the most experienced offensive line coaches in the country, uh, as an assistant offensive line coach to help him out. But those guys are playing phenomenal ball right now. Jackson Powers Johnson, this is probably one of his biggest games of the year, <clears throat> excuse me, just in terms of going against a guy like Bear Alexander. And then you talked about the the second and third levels with Gentry and Roland Wallace. Uh, can't help but feel like this USC defense is going to have their hands full with all the the skill talent that Oregon has because they're they're going to be able to run. I feel like that's their their it's their bread and butter, but they're still a really balanced team. Um, they don't really kind of necessarily favor the run or the pass, even though they've always been a run first team. Um, so maybe we can just kind of wrap up the defensive side of the ball a little bit, just talking about how, you, what you, what can USC do in your mind? How do they stack up with the skill talent that Oregon's going to bring to the table led by a guy like Troy Franklin? It's tough. I did think the USC defensive backs overall, it wasn't Michael Penick's arm that beat them. It was Washington's running game. So that's just the matchup that I start with. I think Oregon has proven that they're a better running team than Washington. So you just through the transitive properties, Hey, Hey, if Washington did this, what is Oregon going to do? I know Bucky Irving was battling a little bit of an injury. Maybe it's crazy though. Oregon might not even need him against USC this year. Sometimes the best players on teams haven't been the ones who've been having the big games. It's been reserves and guys who maybe don't get a lot of run, but for whatever reason, when they go up against USC, good things happen. So I, I start with that matchup. I do think USC, I wouldn't say they're like greatly equipped to stop Bo Nix in the passing game. I do think they're better equipped to limit like big explosive throws down the field. USC where they are susceptible and Oregon does a great job at this is are the shorter passes. So I know that's Oregon's bread and butter. That's not good. I just don't expect Bo Nix to have too many like bombs down the field to, to Troy Franklin that USC in the last few weeks, while they've had their fair share of issues, they're not giving up these big, massive, explosive pass plays that are like 20 or more air yards. It's been just a lot of 
a screen pass puts them in a bad spot or a slant puts them in a bad spot, which Oregon does really well. So I think USC's corners have, have been okay lately. I don't expect them to beat deep or to get beat deep too much in this one, but what Oregon does well running the ball in the short passes, USC has not done a good job with that this year. And that should play right into Oregon's hand. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, Oregon is one of the best run teams in the country. Um, but Bucky Irving, to your point, he wasn't at practice, the portion of practice that was open to the media on Tuesday. And uh, honestly, we don't really get to see a whole heck of a lot. Uh, so that's kind of the story based off of uh, going to practices this week. Um, but he was back on Wednesday, so he should be totally fine. I think Oregon's going to run the ball at USC and, and try to wear him down that way and, and establish themselves there. But uh, Tez Johnson has really emerged as the number two uh, receiver on this team behind Troy Franklin. Had, uh, I think, 180 yards and two touchdowns last week against Cal. So he's, he's continuing to emerge. But Connor, we got to hop onto the other side and and talk about reigning Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams. He has been uh, all over the headlines this this season. I think that would happen uh, kind of regardless of what kind of on field performance you'd have. Right, you're in the the media capital of the country, really, maybe even of the world. Uh, but he he made the decision to follow Lincoln Riley before last season. Things went great, but. Uh, you can't help but feel for the guy a little bit this year because he's putting up all these points per game, putting on these heroics, but it's just they're coming up short because that defense can't show up. That's been the big issue, and I think part of the reason why he shared that emotional moment with his mother after the game was because 
he feels like he's doing all he can and the other side of the ball, which he has no effect on is really, really struggling. And I think he trusted Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch this season. And this is nothing he said. This is all me reading into it. Just hoping for a better defensive performance. And I think everyone around USC trusted Lincoln Riley when it came to USC's defense, he decided to bring back Alex Grinch in the off season. And then his rationale, it made a lot of sense. Like, Hey, in year two, we'll have better players guys will be more familiar with the system and it just has not worked. So the trust that everyone gave Riley has sort of been fractured. And I, I think Williams is the biggest uh, person who, who's been kind of screwed by that, unfortunately, because he is so talented and he had the bad game against Notre Dame. Other than that, he's really put USC in positions to win all of these games that they've, that they've been so close in and he deserves better this year. So yeah, it certainly starts with him and you look at his numbers they're really, really good. More rushing touchdowns, very similar to last season. USC just hasn't been winning the games, which is why I think he's a little bit further down in the Heisman race. And he had the one clunker against Notre Dame. That certainly didn't help him. But overall, he, he looks just as good to me as he did last year. I thought the Washington game was the sharpest he'd looked since USC uh, played Colorado. He had a great first half, Caleb Williams. Since then, it's been a little bit up and down, but he was awesome last week. And I think going into Oregon, he'll have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He said he's never been a part of a team that's had three losses this early in the season. seems like the pressure's off him a little bit. He's just going to go out and play. And pressure's been off him maybe for a few weeks now with USC having two losses. And they've played like it on offense defensively. All the pressure in the world's on the team. So we'll see what happens if something changes. I don't really anticipate it. I think USC will play fine on offense, score maybe 28 to 30 points. But Oregon, I think, will score a lot more. And I don't see this one being particularly close. And, and with with Caleb Williams' play being phenomenal, we we have to talk about the the other guys on the team too. The the run game has been strong for USC. Um, you have you have Marshawn Lloyd who has been great on the year, eight touchdowns. Caleb Williams actually leads the team in rushing touchdowns, which is uh, pretty unique. Um, I think with with Oregon's defense. I talked about this yesterday on my podcast, like the defense is going to be the key uh, against USC. I don't think there's too much concern about what Oregon's offense is going to be able to do uh, against a, a struggling defense. I think we can probably agree on that one, but this is the, I mean, he, there was no question last year. Maybe it's just a tighter race this year, but one of the very best quarterbacks in the country, maybe he's not going to win the Heisman this year, but he, most people would still probably agree. He is the guy <clears throat> excuse me, as far as just the best quarterback in the country. So Oregon's defensive front is going to have their hands full. Um, that this with a guy like Caleb Williams, who's able to scramble, keep plays alive, all while keeping his eyes down the field. That can be dangerous for a secondary, but I think Oregon's really equipped, especially along the edges uh, with, with guys like Brandon Dorless and, and Jordan Birch, uh, Mateo Uyunglele, Tatum Tuioti, just they're playing some really good ball. And I think they have the athletes to, to go against a quarterback like Caleb Williams. But honestly, Connor, at the end of the day, I feel like with Caleb Williams, I kind of liken him to Stephen Curry. He's just going to do some things every now and then, maybe even every game where you do everything you possibly can as a defense. And it's, it's still a touchdown or still a huge gain. And, and all you can do at the end of the day is kind of tip your cap. It is true. If you can consistently pressure him, there's only so much he can do, though. He's great at escaping from the pocket. We, we've all seen it. But the Notre Dame game, what went so wrong for USC in that game was Notre Dame got so much pressure on him, he couldn't evade it. And that baited him into making some poor throws. He was sacked a bunch. 
He had double-digit pressures. That led USC to make a couple changes on the offensive line. I think Oregon's defensive front is the best front that USC's played since that Notre Dame game. And if if Oregon is able to get the kind of pressure that they or that Notre Dame did against USC, I don't care if you have the greatest quarterback of all time back there. What you know, Tom Brady in his prime with the with the Patriots. Pressure is the great equalizer, and, and even a guy like Caleb Williams, who's so good at getting out of pressure, there's only so much he can handle. And, and Oregon's gone against some really good quarterbacks already this year. Michael Penix, uh, Cam Ward, who might be the number two scrambler in the co- uh, the conference. Maybe Bo Nix is the number two, but we haven't seen him have to scramble a whole lot because he's been so well protected. But yeah, if you can get some pressure on Caleb Williams, that'll go a long way in slowing down that USC offense and uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I don't want to discredit the run game, but as strong as the run game is, Oregon's done pretty well uh, defending the run, and they uh, did a good job against Jade Knott last week. So I think with Oregon's defense, the the havoc that they're wrecking right now, the pressures they're creating, the, the turnovers that they're creating, um, going into that game against Cal last week, Steve Stevens had an interception, and, and he had a couple fumbles that were forced, so... They have a lot of momentum right now, so you can obviously put that in Oregon's favor right now um, in terms of just who has the momentum, but um, it's not going to be an easy matchup. And I think one of the things that's different about this USC team this year uh, are the the wide receivers. Um, obviously still really good, but you don't have a former Bolitnikov Award winner in, in Jordan Addison, so it looks like Taj Washington's really solidified himself as the guy yards-wise, but Brendan Rice, still that big-bodied wideout, super athletic. Tell me a little bit about these uh, these skill guys that USC has. It's a very talented group, but you're right, Max. They lack a true wide receiver one. Taj Washington, I think, is the most consistent playmaker on the team, and he's really talented, but he's, in a best-case scenario, a wide receiver too. And him having to be the one this year, it certainly isn't USC's biggest problem, but I think you can add it to the list of why the teams underperformed a little bit. They needed more from their receiver group against these better teams. Dorian Singer, a guy from Arizona, I thought he was going to come in and be USC's top option. He's really struggled. Tight end Lake McCree has more receiving yards than Singer, and the USC passing offense doesn't really utilize the tight end a whole lot. So that's been a big surprise. Caleb Williams and Singer, for whatever reason, they just haven't totally clicked. Brendan Rice, he is really consistent at catching at least one touchdown per game. It seems like sometimes multiple there are times against these better teams when USC will go long stretches without really getting him involved. Zachariah branch has been an electrifying playmaker for USC. And he's sort of the X factor that I look at with the USC receivers, a true freshman, great in the special teams game. He has battled an injury, had to shake off a little bit rust, a little bit of rust at the, the mid season point. He's coming back to form. He wasn't totally utilized that much last week against Washington in the receiving game. I think he only had two or three receptions, and that's a credit to Washington. They they know how effective Zachariah Branch is. So there's a lot of talent there, but for whatever reason, guys have struggled to really make consistent plays against these really talented teams. Taj Washington, I, I put him in a separate category. He is so good and so consistent and a guy who I think would flourish on any offense in America just with his work ethic, but other guys for whatever reason have struggled to get involved at times. And, and part of it, um, I mean, this is another thing I want to ask you, but I know we were trying to keep the pod to, to 30 is just yeah, the, no, the no worries, whatever the, um, well, well, okay. I'll, I'll follow up that question a little bit later. Um, but um, it just seems like there's a lot of talent and they've just kind of 
it hasn't all come together the way that they've hoped, uh, whether that's wide receivers or like you mentioned earlier, kind of shuffling some pieces along that offensive line. That'll obviously be a challenge for anybody. You want to have that consistency on offense, but this is a really good test for Oregon. It, it seems weird to, to be using that kind of terminology and phrasing at this point in the season, right? You're in the last full month of college football and we're talking about getting tested, but I really do think this is an awesome test for Oregon, a great opportunity for their defensive backs to, to really step up to the plate. Uh, Oregon has been, <clears throat> has been a little bit shorthanded. Brian Addison safety has been out uh, away from the program for almost a month now. I want to say I don't think he's played since the Colorado game. Um, but with, with these guys, Brendan Rice, the last time he was in Eugene, he was like the only person on that Colorado team that could do anything uh, in 2021, and he had a really effective day. Um, I think a lot of it was special teams, but he's a special talent. Um, I'm excited to see Kyrie Jackson and Jalil Florence, what they're going to be able to do. Steve Stevens has been playing some really good football. I talked about him earlier. He's a safety for the Ducks, uh, really experienced, and he's done a great job just having those veterans in the back end, whether it's Steve Stevens, Tyshin Johnson, or Evan Williams. All of those guys have played a lot of football. And then you also have to give some love to the linebackers. Justin Jacobs, the Iowa transfer. He looks like he's rounding into form. Jamal Hill, I got to talk about Jamal Hill for a second, Connor, because that dude was a was a safety when I was living in Eugene, and then he moved to to linebacker for this year. And I saw him in person for the first time yesterday when we got to talk to him after practice. And that dude is massive. Like just seeing the weight he's put on is crazy. Uh, that that's a guy who's playing some really good football. I love their depth and rotation at linebacker. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about this Oregon defense, and I think that they would love nothing more than to deliver a, a dominant defensive performance against, like we're saying, one of the, the best offenses in all of college football, which granted could be even better if, if they were, you know, all in sync and, you know, the, the O-line was a little bit more, um, you had a little bit more chemistry, but th this is not an offense you can take lightly by any means. No, and it's the type of game where Oregon fans, I feel like should be really happy that Dan Lanning's, the head coach, a guy with a defensive background who is one at the highest level as a defensive coordinator, knows what it takes to win at the highest level and is a guy who has a good track record of bottling up the uh, offenses like the, this USC one. And it can be tough to truly bottle up an offense like this, but make enough plays to, to win these games. And I think USC, everyone loves Lincoln Riley as an offensive play caller, but they would love a guy like Dan Lanning running their defense. That's for sure. So I just look at that matchup. USC's offense in these games against these good teams are going to have to outscore opponents and coaches with defensive backgrounds have done a really nice job, whether it's Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, uh, Kyle Whittingham at, at Utah, guys who pride themselves on good defensive performances have been able to have success against USC this season. And I think Oregon will be able to do what some of those teams did and, and be able to limit USC a little bit. One, one more question and then we'll get into our uh, predictions, score predictions for this one. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a two-parter. I, I asked it, uh, I sent it over in, uh, the five questions story that we're going to have with you over on ducks digest. So make sure you guys keep an eye out for that. But, um, when you look at the Lincoln Riley tenure and just kind of how things have gone at USC, um, he's been under a lot of, uh, I don't know if I'd say scrutiny, but one of the biggest talking points with him has been the transfer portal. Um, bringing a lot of guys in every, almost every school is, is bringing a lot of guys in every year to overhaul the program or to kind of fill those gaps. How do you kind of evaluate not only how they have used the transfer portal, but just the success 
that that has generated or maybe some of the areas where it's come up short when you're trying to build the most complete team? I think this year the lesson was learned and I was guilty of saying the opposite at the beginning of the season. It's still came to recruit high school and build your team that way. That's the best way to, to build a team. I did think USC through what they did in the transfer portal would be better. And I, I thought would see more of these guys be impact guys. They've certainly hit on a few players, but I don't think anyone would say that they've hit on the number of guys people expected them to hit on. And I think that's probably part of why they've struggled this year. A little bit of what my analysis to Max has to do with USC's defense. Like, I just wonder if a different coach was coaching some of these guys, what it would look like. I feel like Keon bars is a good example of this. He just hasn't played a lot. He's a big run stuffing defensive lineman from Arizona who I think should be playing a lot more alongside Barry Alexander. He got 12 snaps last week against Washington Again, PFF grades don't reveal everything, but he was USC's highest graded uh, defensive player in those 12 snaps. So it's kind of been mystifying a little bit, especially on the defensive side of the ball for why USC wasn't using some of the transfers that they brought in. Looking at offense, though, they brought in three transfers on the offensive line who it took a little while, but they're playing better. Dorian Singer is a guy who I thought would be a little bit better. I think overall the offensive lineman – fans expect a little bit more from so across the board I think it's been a little bit more underwhelming than people expected and if there were different coaches especially on defense would the result be different maybe I I just think if you have guys from when they're true freshmen and and you develop them for a year maybe they start playing as a sophomore maybe two years in as a junior and and they have two years under their belt they know the system a little bit more this year USC was kind of flying by the seat of their pants a little bit and it I don't want to say blew up in their face, but it just wasn't as good as, as a lot of people thought. And I hope going forward, a lesson is learned that USC needs to do a better job in high school recruiting. Cause if you look at the 2024 class, it's not that highly ranked right now. And it doesn't look like they have too many guys on the horizon who they could potentially flip or get before signing day about a month from now. So uh, I do think in 2025 and 2026, they'll bounce back and they've done a better job locally recruiting guys. But uh, yeah, I don't think they'll change their transfer portal. Um, tactics too much. I, I think Lincoln Riley really believes that's a great way to build a team just because it didn't work this year. doesn't mean it can't work in the future, but I do think they'll in the future change how they recruit at the high school level a little bit. This 2024 class, I think everyone involved at USC would agree if it's trending the way it's trending right now, I think it's like 19 or 20 nationally. That's just not going to be good enough. And, and we usually, I usually see you on the high school scene a fair amount when I'm back home in Southern California. So that's a, a whole nother, podcast that we should do sometime but um that's another thing that people have been talking about is is riley southern california recruiting or california recruiting overall but as for the transfer portal i think it it makes a lot of sense in terms of you want to bring those guys in especially if there's an immediate need that you can't lean on the high school ranks for um you just obviously can't um can't rely on it too much and uh it is i think the healthier way to to build your program going through the high school ranks so it's all about striking that balance and every coach is trying to do that um, Dabo Sweeney has been super adamant about not using it at Clemson and that's hurt him. So it's kind of, uh, adapt, uh, or get left behind. So really interesting stuff. Love talking about any kind of recruiting stuff, but especially this game with you. Um, let's get into our score predictions before we wrap this one up. Uh, I have mine already, but I want to, I want to give you the floor first as our guest on the show. I think I'm going to go with 
Oregon winning 45-28, so that would lead to Oregon covering the big spread and winning by a pretty big margin. I, I, I think the reason I really like Oregon in this game is even if USC does play better than people think and, and is in the game maybe halfway through the, th- through the third quarter, I think Dan Lanning wants to make a statement in this one to recruits, to just college football. Like Oregon is ahead of USC and they're going to be ahead of USC for a couple of years now. Look at how we're recruiting. Look at this game. We have them here on a Saturday night. He wants to really win this one in in a big way and, and show people that, that Oregon is when all these West Coast teams go to the Big Ten, it's Oregon that's the best of the West Coast teams joining this new league. So, of course, it's, it's an X's and O's game and it's not about making statements first and foremost, but I, I do think just the way the seasons have gone, USC is in a tough spot this week, of course, with how it's all shaken out defensively, and Oregon will have a chance to make that statement and win this game. I like Oregon uh, 45-28. And I'm not too far off with my score prediction. I think we're kind of on the same page. I have Oregon 56, USC 27. Um, I think a big part of the of that score for me, uh, if, if you look at some of the previous offenses that, that USC's faced, I mean, Cal almost hung 50 on them. Washington did hang 50 on them. Uh, Oregon's at home. I think they're going to be able to play their best ball. And uh, as for USC's side of things, 27, I think you got to give their their uh, offense some respect. But if Oregon can get some stops here, uh, I think that that could go a long way in terms of just uh, – them running away with it. You, the last thing you want if you're Oregon is to get into a shootout on my podcast yesterday, I talked about how I think they could still win in a shootout just because they have the better defense, but that is not what you want to do. Uh, I definitely agree with your point. I wanted to make a statement. Um, I think it could, it could, it could get ugly. I mean, I don't necessarily hope that's the case just because it'd be nice to cover a, a fun game, but I know Oregon fans will love that. So Definitely agree with what you're saying about Dan Lanning wanting to make a statement. Uh, five-star edge rusher Nasir Wyatt out of modern day is going to be in town this weekend. So I'm working on a big visitor list story over on Ducks Digest that you guys should definitely check out once it's posted. But, uh, but Connor, any final thoughts here before we get you out of here? I'd be shocked if USC was able to win this one. They're playing with house money a little bit, so I don't think it's a 0% chance, but just how this year's gone and, Oregon at night, the way their season's gone too, it just seems like too big of a test for for USC. And USC is heading into this one kind of with that nothing to lose mindset. It, it sounds pretty crazy to say that when they lost two games, uh, you know, people were kind of writing off the season. But uh, Oregon's Oregon's gotten spoiled before. November is the most important time of the year, and this is a huge game that you got to show up for and handle your business. So. Uh, sounds like both Connor and I will be in the press box in Autzen Stadium on Saturday night. So going to be a blast to to check this one out. Make sure you guys check out uh, Connor's stuff for, for all the latest on USC, um, which was actually the last thing I wanted to ask you, Connor. Where can people find more of you and your work? Yeah, uscfootball.com and my socials are uh, C underscore Morissette. That's C underscore and then my last name, M O R R. I-S-S-E-T-T-E. It's a real uh, mouthful. <laughs> there you go. Well, you guys, make sure you lock in with Connor. He's doing a lot of awesome stuff. If you want to find more of me, follow me on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at mtorresports. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Do me a favor, like the video and subscribe to the channel. We're on the road to 3K, and I love the support I'm seeing from you guys. And you can always read my latest Oregon football and recruiting coverage over on DucksDigest.com. 
But until next time, big thanks to Connor for coming on. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.